Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And we're continuing our series as we talk about, is it okay for a Christian to do certain things? The good, there's good news and bad news on this. Uh, this is uh, one of the sermons that's harder to keep in my brain. I keep coming back to it, and I'm like, how did I write this thing? Then it's, it's so we're going to, because it, it's going to feel like it jumps around and eventually get to the right spot. Does that make sense? Maybe you think that every week. It feels like it jumps around and eventually it gets to the right spot. So uh, we're talking about tattoos, and I actually was going to talk about cosmetic surgery. I thought, oh, those are intertwined, doing things to your body, but I think there's different principles. And so if there's interest, I got two people asked about cosmetic surgery and three people asked about tattoos. So I think um, we may do two. I've only got two times left to be able to do this series and uh, I'm, I'm still on the fence if I'm going to do it. So maybe next week we'll do cosmetic surgery. I think there's some major, especially in America, as this is kind of an ongoing swell of, of things that are happening. might be worthwhile. So we're talking about tattoos. And this was, again, one of my favorites to research. I'll be laughing to myself. I think in the night, this is one of the things where I'm sure Amy's like, what are you laughing at? I'm like, um, I'm laughing at uh, things like this. Never don't give up. <laughs> I think that's awesome. I mean... <laughs> Dad, I want to give up. Of course you should give up. You should give up every time. Um, here's some other great tattoos before you. Um, this, is, this, is, this one takes a little bit. So I'm not sure if he meant like you are next or maybe it was like a promise, like your next BFF. Maybe this is like a request. Although if I saw a guy with this on his knuckles, I think I wouldn't stick around to ask him like how you feel. Do you know your grammar isn't actually correct there? Uh, let's see, we got a couple more. Uh, too cool for school. <laughs> and art class. Like, I, how, this, is, this, this blows me away, actually. To actually get the T-O-O correct, but school incorrect, I, it has to be done on purpose. I mean, it has to be done on purpose. I don't think the design was done on purpose. Um, he's like, I don't know, it looks like an ambulance with like a, like a bread truck and then like a skyscraper sideways. That's, of course, what the school bus looks. Who, who has double windows on their... Uh, we could do, this could be the whole 25 minutes, I mean, easily, but it's not going to. I, got, uh, I think I got maybe one more. Clearly, I have made some bad decisions. <laughs> but, it, it could go on and on, and I've, I've told you my favorite one, which Amy said I've already mentioned, which is Patrick Swayze in the form of a centaur. Have you ever seen that one? I didn't show you this one. I deleted the slide. So it's, yeah, it's a rainbow background with a double helix with Patrick Swayze as a Chippendale dancer on Saturday Night Live with a centaur uh, horse to it. It's the most ridiculous tattoo I've ever seen. And in my mind, I always think it's funny because I think the guy went there. He's like, hey, can you center that on my calf? He's like, of course I can centaur that. So, <laughs> so that's what he got. <laughs> so we're, this is where we're going to go when we talk about tattoos. They're becoming more and more popular. One out of five people, as I said. So uh, in America, and actually for the first time ever in 2010, more women have tattoos than guys. So the question is this. Is it okay for... Uh, is it okay for a Christian to get a tattoo? And the rub is this. We've got a clear passage. Oh, sorry, I missed this one. <laughs> I'm awesome at everything except one subject in school. Spelling. Yeah, I'm... So the, uh, we have a clear passage in Leviticus that says, Do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. 
this, this whole discussion, we haven't really had clear things. There's no Leviticus passage that says, uh, you know, don't smoke bowls. I mean, we didn't see anything like that. Instead, we're, we're, we're extracting principles to say, okay, what's one side of the road? What's the other side of the road? How do we figure this out? So in Leviticus, and this is where, you, this is probably one of the more controversial subjects as I'm researching, just Googling it myself to see what do people say. There are some pretty hardline people that said absolutely uh, they connect this passage with Revelation. Does ever, anyone know what tattoo comes up in Revelation 666, uh, the mark of the beast? So they, these are two are connected, and they say you are now marking yourself as a pagan. You're marking yourselves as a follower of the devil if you even think about doing this. So that's where I started my research. And then I went to the I am awesome guy, and, don't, you know, and, I, and I, I was about to quit until I saw that tattoo. You know, never don't give up. <laughs> so... The, so I started to do a little bit of research. So this is, this is the way that we're going to go. We're, I'm going to give you a broad stroke history and then kind of come back around to where this passage goes. So tattoos, from what they can see, have been around from before they even did the Great Pyramids. So the Great Pyramids are about uh, 2,500 years roughly before Jesus, which is 500 years before Abraham. So already they have archaeological evidence of tattoos. There's 49 different archaeological sites where they can see evidence. They can see it right on their arms, their skin, that there was tattoos. The, the question that they have is the purpose of those tattoos kind of vary with some overlap around the world. So I'm going to start way over on this side. Actually, I'll start in the middle. Egypt is the clearest place that we have it right around. Uh, so that's Africa, Upper Africa right around 2,500, and it goes in all directions. So there's kind of a myth that says tattoos kind of stopped in existence and then sort of popped back up. Have you ever heard that one because of the Polynesian culture? Okay, so you got to research tattoos to figure this out, that this is a myth that some people believe, but apparently not many people believe because no one researches tattoos except worse tattoos. So, so th this is how it works. It's spreading. So this is a world map just for you. This is Africa, and it starts spreading over towards the east, and it makes its way to China by 2000. That's right around the same time of Abraham, and I think that's kind of fascinating. As Abraham, just think about that. This is a real biblical character about to bring down the knife on his son. There's people using a knife to put tattoos in their culture. So in China, it, it catches sway, but it's really in, when it moves into Japan when you see this huge influence of tattoos. So tattoos in Japan are a monstrous thing that you can even still see today. The influence of like the koi fish with the big scales or dragons, this is, this is all influence from Japan. And then the Izumi suits, which are, um, I think I've got a, I don't have my normal pictures up here, so we're, I'm hoping, here we go, good. They, they wear, the warriors would wear suits to about here to here, and these are not done with electric needles like you see now, motorized needles. This is, if you see the pictures, it just creeps you out. They use a chisel-type tool, a wooden chisel like bamboo, and they cut into the skin. And, they in, and the ink that's really famous that we have now, that kind of bluish ink, is all from the native Japanese people, the A-I-N-U. I don't know how you say that. Ainu? I could have found that. So, that's, so it's making its way over to here. From there, we would assume that it springboards kind of south over into New Zealand and the islands. And the islands, it is a humongous thing. And you can see, I think I've got the next one, where they actually tattoo not just on their bodies. In Japan, they were real particular. It would only go so far, and they have an empty section in the middle. And like, this is from the island of Borneo. They start to put it onto their faces. And part of that is, and we'll just get to a second, is part of their worship of their pagan culture. So when you get into the island nations, you see some of that influence, and you see it hopefully in this next one. 
This would be kind of the Samoan style that you can still see today. If you see someone who's Samoan, um, like The Rock has kind of, I don't know if he is Samoan, but he has Samoan similarities, and they might get a tattoo like here, and it goes all the way down the sleeve. That's the Samoan culture. And this is a huge, like, rite of passage for the Samoan and island cultures. So this is, you have kind of made it. So men and women, they're just, uh, the guys have a lot more ink, like darker ink, and the women's is more feathery. I don't know what word you'd use. Uh, but it's kind of a rite of passage. You've gotten to this age as a boy. You can go through the excruciating pain because it's not just like the needles are supposed to be bad, but this is like the chisel work inking. And so if you, you're now a man because you've made it into that point. So it's going this way. Now we're going to go a, bit, a little bit this way. Uh, it's really fascinating when you get into Europe because Europe, like anything, there's things that are popular and it kind of goes out of style and in style. So I just am not cool anytime. So none of my stuff is ever in style or out of style. It's just never anything. But like clothes, it kind of goes in and out. So it makes its way up from like Egypt and things like that. It makes its way up into Europe, like Western Europe. And it was actually really popular in the uh, northern parts, like the Norsemen and things like that. You think of that. Because they would put like family crests on their body to show their dedication. So this is not quite to the sailor part yet. I'll get to that in a second. They, um, the kings and queens would even have it with their crests, and there's history all the way back to people who would go down to the Crusades, and there's a tattoo shop. I wasn't even researching this any longer. I was done with my research. I was reading some news, and there's a tattoo shop that's 700 years old in Jerusalem. So you can go to, um, people would go on the Crusades, and they master in the Jerusalem cross. So you imagine they do that in their sleep. But, I mean, that people come, they make their pilgrimage to Jerusalem, and they want to see that. Well, it kind of falls out of favor right around 1,000. So that's before uh, the Crusades. It falls out of um, favor. And the reason is the Normans, or the Nor- this is the Norsemen who settled down in, in France, went and took, their, took up Britain. Have you ever heard of the Battles of Hastings? Okay, so everyone vaguely knows this, and I vaguely knew it until I remembered again when I, when I reread it. All right, so the Normans, who are, uh, they came down, and you see the, uh, they lived in uh, France. They made their way. They attacked up into Britain. And at that point, they do not like tattoos at all. So it kind of falls out of favor for a period of time until about the 15, 1600s. And it's still going on. Um, it's still going on uh, in the West, I mean the East, and it's still going on in the West. But it starts to pick up steam. And the, and the time that it picks up steam is there's a famous uh, traveler who went and spent three trips to the Pacific Islands. His name was James Cook. Have you heard of James Cook? Okay, he also tried to go to the North Pole. Maybe he got there. I didn't finish my research. Um, So James Cook went to the Pacific Islands, and they would bring back, and this is just like, uh, it feels like the 1920s sideshow, but they would bring back these um, natives from the islands who were fully, like, tattooed, like, head to toe, and they would bring them back, and they would kind of go on display in London and things like that. So just to put things together, in America, we are now seeking our independence. In uh, Britain at this time, this is right when the the tattoo idea comes back again, okay? And um, so it starts to gain popularity among the the royals, and uh, usually they say there's kind of the lower class and the upper class because of the really good tattoos cost a lot of money. The really bad ones don't. So there's usually this in the middle class are not as taken by tattoos. We'll talk about how that gap is closing in a little bit. All right, so it makes its way over there, and now uh, I'll give you an updated history before that. Each of these, though, 
each of these places, no matter where you go around the, the world, have different purposes for their tattoos. So they're not all the exact same. And it, I bet you could think of similar reasons why someone might get a tattoo today. Usually, um, I think I've got a picture here. Some of it is the status uh, that a person has. It, it shows their rank. So this is not just, this is Russian prison. So Russian prison apparently has one of the most elaborate tattoo um, meanings and things like that. The Aryan Brotherhood has a similar thing. So if you go into prison, you can see these tattoos. The cross has a meaning in the middle of their chest that means some kind of leadership thing. And I'll, they can decipher all these tattoos. So it's a sense of status. You have this. You see the same thing when you go into some of the island cultures, though. The women would have tattoos to show what they're good at or their status in the family, or someone who would show their money because they're able to get more and more tattoos. Just to give you an idea, those Japanese suits, uh, those, uh, I'm just going to say it wrong. I'm going to say it wrong. It starts with an I and ends in an I. There we go. has a Z in it and an M. I don't want to say it incorrectly, but those suits can cost up to $30,000. So most people don't have discretionary income enough just to say, hey, I would like, uh, like a six-month process and then just lay on this table where they go through this and get all these tattoos. So it, sometimes it's a status symbol. You see the same thing if you would go to our prisons. I could have showed you more and more pictures, but there's some kids here. They're really creepy. If you start looking at prison tattoos and how popular they are, and, and we're thinking, when I was a kid, like the 80s, the Bloods and the Crips. But then there's a whole scale. The gangs in the 80s got worse and worse and worse. And the Latin Kings, and then world influences, and then the MS-13 um, is the most notorious. And they have tattoos all over their face, all over their body. This is the one that is, like they said, by far the worst gang that has about 20 or something like that, 10,000 people in the U.S. They deported the leaders it was, and then so the leaders against got more people wherever they were deported to. So now it's like seventy thousand people across the globe. Child prostitution, um, drug running. I mean, it's it's a, not a good scene. But you can see very clearly tattoos on their body when they're arrested. So this is number two. Not only is it showing rank, but a lot of times people get tattoos to show that they belong to something. Right? You can think of. Just think of nebulous kind of things. Someone's, um, they graduated from Alabama or something like that. They might have Roll Tide or something. They're saying, this is part of the organization I'm with. Their favorite sports team, the college they went to, uh, maybe their high school. Maybe they really love their high school. But they would do the same thing with gangs. And you can see, if you just do a search, just do mafia tattoos, it is not limited to, like, Italy. It's not limited to... Uh, America, it's not limited to gangs, but in Korea, in China, in, uh, you know, just about any country with any kind of organized crime, this is part of being part of it. There aren't too many people that I would guess you'd meet. They'd say, yeah, I'm part of a gang, and they have zero tattoos. I would think that's very unlikely. You know, they would not profile me as a tattoo, I mean, as a, as a gang leader, I don't think. Um, so that's part of the belonging kind of sense to it. And then the, the third reason I see, um, and we'll get to a fourth, a third reason that's probably, I would guess, the most common in America would be a significant event to signify something that's significant. This is my guess. You know, I think there's a lot of allegiance type things, but let's just say the death of someone you care about, uh, the birth of a child, the death of a child, the, um, the running of the Tough mutter. You get a discount if you have a tattoo of the Tough Mudder on there. You finish the triathlon. Uh, some people, you see the Iron Man tattoo. You see you know, people have done something significant. They've experienced something significant. 
and that's kind of an emotionally charged type tattoo sometimes. So I'd be real careful. This is just advice. Before you would say anything about something, just ask them, what's the story behind your tattoo? Because I think a lot of them, there's a lot of emotion connected with those things. And I would be real reluctant just to make a flippant statement about something because someone probably thought a long, long time and this is what they wanted to do. There's a fourth reason, though. And the fourth reason is where we get into Scripture. And the the fourth reason is that the tattooing process, a bloodletting type process, is part of their worship. And it's a pagan worship. So at the time of the people of Israel, when he wrote this, this is 3,500 years ago, about 1,500 years before Jesus. So just imagine uh, they're already tattooing in China for 500 years at this point. And the pagan cultures there, as part of their worship, would involve cutting. Can you think of an instance in the Bible where this came up? Elijah is on a mountain at Mount Carmel. Maybe we've preached on this before, at least I remember it. So Elijah is on Mount Carmel, and he says, okay, let's have a battle to see who has the real God. And the, the prophets of Baal, there's like 500 of them or something like that, and then Elijah by himself. And they, they remember, they get the altar wet. They, uh, and before they even do that, they put the bull on there. They start praying, and Elijah's making fun of them. Remember that part? He's like, hey, maybe your God is busy going to the bathroom. You know, like this is part of the trash talking that's going on. Well, they start to cut themselves as part of the ceremony. And this isn't unusual. You could look at occult or pagan practices even today in the idea of bloodletting. It's really a dark, um, yeah, filling bowls with blood. I mean, it's really a creepy, make your stomach kind of turn kind of deal. Well, that apparently is exactly what was happening when they worshipped pagan gods at the time of the children of Israel. So what does God say? God comes to them and says, I want you to be different. This is not what we're trying to do. So God says, here's some regulations you should know. Do not eat any meat with blood still in it, because God says that's, uh, the blood is for God. Uh, Do not practice divination or seek omens. Do not cut the hair at the sides of your head or clip off the edges of your beard. So do not, we'll come back to that. Do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. Okay. The first thing someone wants to do is immediately dismiss the sections they say don't don't apply today. And there's some reality to that. So we'll kind of go through Old Testament law and we'll come back to it. And we've talked about this, I think, before. So the Old Testament... There are specific laws given for specific people at a specific time. And those don't always apply for all people for all time. The real clearest example would be in the Garden of Eden, God comes to Adam and Eve and he says, uh, comes to Adam and says, do not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Got it? Do you still have that law? No. Like every day I, I said, I don't high-five myself like, got that one nailed. <laughs> you know, like, no, it doesn't apply to me any longer. It's specific people for a specific time at a specific place. The same thing is true about the Old Testament laws. And we have our laws that we have today, our moral laws that are for all people of all time. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. That, uh, like, for don't seek, uh, practice divination and seek omens. God says you shall have no other gods. So very clearly, it doesn't mean because God said it in the Old Testament, we can now do it. Jesus came, so we're good. But God said, for a period of time, I want you as my chosen people to stand out. I want you to be different. And I want you to do things that are different than the culture around you. So people, when they see you, do not think that you are connected with these false gods. So for example, when they built their altar 
God says you should not do it with cut stones. You're like, is it really that big of a deal? But apparently the pagan people, when they worshiped their false gods, would cut their stones. So God said, when you make an altar to me, make it natural stone. Okay, all right, God, we'll do that. Apparently the pagans, when they worshiped, would cut themselves. So God says, that shouldn't be any part of your worship. Even if you see it again and again and again, just don't, just don't do that. Apparently, they cut their beards a certain way. Don't cut the edges off of your beard. I don't know what that means. Does anyone know what that means? My best guess is the Assyrians. Have you ever seen like pictures of the? Is anyone been to the British Museum? This is awesome. Uh, not awesome because the British people stole all these artifacts, but awesome that we get to see them because they stole them. All right, so if you go to the British Museum, they have uh, these kind of ancient statues, like Persian-type looks to them and things like that, but they got real squared-off beards oftentimes. I don't know if that's it, if they were real particular in how they cut them, but God is saying, the pagans do this, you should not. I think that's valid, right? If there's things that are distinctly marked with, this is what pagan worshipers do, even today would we do them? No. We have freedom to do lots of things, but we're just going to say, you know, we're just not going to do that if this is intertwined with how we do that. I gave you an example. So in the, um, originally we were looking at the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul was talking about meat sacrificed to idols. And Paul said, is it okay that you eat this meat that's sacrificed to idols? What was the answer? Yeah, go ahead. These aren't real gods. It doesn't matter. If this is sacrificed at some temple, and then they go sell the extra meat at the market, you buy it at a discount. I don't know what it is, the, you know, the pre, pre-sacrificed, you know, it's already been used. I don't, know what, I don't know what the story is, but maybe they got a deal on it. And he's saying, that's no big deal. Who cares? Like, it doesn't matter. However, would that give you the right to go to the temple and be involved in the ceremony where they sacrifice that meat to an idol? There's a difference, right? So it doesn't matter if outside of that ceremony, they're saying, here, we got this extra meat, and you're saying, fine. It's a different story when you say, I'm going to go and be part of this ceremony where very clearly I'm involved with this. And I gave the example of yoga, and I think there's another example. Yoga, physically, you can do this for your health. There's certain kinds of power yoga or astanga yoga or something like that. You can do it. However, you've got to be careful because certain types of yoga, like hatha yoga, can very distinctly be intertwined with the worship of the Hindu culture. Does that make sense? So there's a difference because publicly you're saying I'm involved in a practice and something that is uh, distinctly uh, pagan worship. That seems to be the case at that time. That if you did this, it was so very clear if you had a tattoo of some nature, you could still go places in the world and they would think that same thing. If you would go to Borneo or something like that, and you worked there for years and years and years, and you said, I want to be like the people because I'm serving them. I'm going to get facial tattoos that resemble the demons they worship just to show that I'm one of them. They would think that that's your mindset. They would think that you are worshiping with them. Does that seem fair? All right. What does this have to do with where we're at today? Okay. Okay. Fifty years ago, I think this question would be a little different. If you asked me 50 years ago, if I was alive, they said if you can remember the 60s, you weren't there. And I wasn't there because I can't remember the 60s. Um, so 50 years ago, there was, there was a different feel to tattoos, I think. Right? I, it, this, is just my, this is maybe just my recollection. But tattoos in the 60s, Hunter S. Thompson 
who wrote a book. He uh, followed the Hell's Angels around. It's a famous book. And they were associated with motorcycle gangs or sailors. I mean, that's one of the... So sailors was really common. I'll tell you, actually... Okay, that's an awesome history. Hold on. All right, so remember Cook came back to the... Um, so Cook went three journeys back to the Pacific Islands. Well, he came back with uh, the last trip he died in uh, Hawaii. And he came back, and some of the sailors had already had tattoos after seeing this. So they got some done there. And then that became part of it. And then identifiers, because they were worried that U.S., if I'm getting this right, U.S., uh, they didn't want to take sailors that were like essentially U.S. citizens and be stolen by the British Army. So they became more and more on their documents. They would document where their tattoos were because it's the clearest way to do it. And so then that became a thing of port travel. And it was our, our most famous tattoo shop. There's, okay, so the tattoo... I said this is my most fascinating thing. So the tattoo mechanical gun was patented right in the late 1800s, and it started to take off, and a guy named uh, Samuel O'Reilly was the guy who patented it in New York, and this, the business started to take off. So when you think about tattoo styles, I think... Um, I'm going to go off. All right. When you think about this, this is like Ed Hardy-type styles. Um, when you think about this real caricature-type style, that started to happen right around that time. And it moves in, and then World War I and II happen, so they become more and more popular. Anyway, back to my original point. Um, usually tattoos were associated with motorcycle gangs, sailors, and I know some of you were in the Navy. This is not like an undermine on the Navy, but in the difference between armed forces and making good choices, there's not a lot of awesome Coast Guard stories. Would we agree on that? like wild Coast Guard stories. So then this tattoos got this connection at that time with um, kind of making a choice out of port and things like that. So these are intertwined in humans' minds. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying, okay, are we good here? I'm going to get evil email. Um, but something seems to happen. On top of that, also bad decisions or people that are, make you uncomfortable. And I could give you my own example. I have a relative who had uh, a salty human being. And he's not, he didn't have any interest in God. He's not alive anymore. He was married to a relative of mine. He had like this lizard. I can still see it, like this lizard working down his forearm. And it was faded out. Can you picture that? Like the blue faded. And you're a kid. You know, I don't see a lot of tattoos as this little kid, you know, eight, nine years old. And I just saw it. I'm like, Dad, Dad. And like a scary tattoo. And, like, and he smoked all the time, so his white beard was like yellow from the nicotine. He's a salty guy who actually attempted murder. Um, so that's just, so just to underline my point. Um, not every person with a tattoo attempted murder. But this person I know did. All right, so as a kid, just terrifying. That's where the genre was. But the big tipping point is, is anyone disagreeing with me that they used to have a, if this would be our conversation. Also in the 60s, there was a hepatitis B breakout because these were not the most sanitary conditions in which they did tattoos. So if someone came to me and said, should I get a tattoo, I'd say, okay. At the very least, they're connected with a rebellious idea, and you'd have to question the sanitation, you know, is this sanitary conditions, is this really healthy for you? All right, those are the two. And if they look like any of these, do you think that's actual artwork? That would be question number, no, this is the questions I would be asking someone, Okay. Um, so the Bible does not expressly forbid it. But you've got to think about these things. I think times have changed, and I'm going to go back a slide. Uh, no one, does anyone recognize who this is? 
this is the, most, the first celebrity to be tattooed. Janis Joplin, yes, exactly. So Janis Joplin by a guy named Lyle Tuttle. So Lyle Tuttle was a tattoo, um, and it starts to shift now from tattooer to tattoo artist. This is a big switch, and I think this is part of the cultural switch. Um, Lyle Tuttle was out of San Francisco. He's got his whole body tattooed, but he started tattooing celebrities. She was one of the first, or the first, and they say, like, this is the moment where it started to go into mainstream. So I don't know the years, but I would guess the 60s. Is that a reasonable guess? So he was tattooing the 40s, 50s, and he's still alive today, I think. So this is kind of a moment. Artwork like Ed Hardy started to come out. And then I think it shifts from stuff like that to the ability, this is my own opinion, the ability for tattoo artists to do things that on an outside scale, even if you think uh, tattoos are repulsive and you have no interest to get one, you say, that's really pretty amazing. And so the artwork has moved from, remember, uh, too cool for school? You know, the artwork has kind of shifted into something where they can do something kind of amazing. And so as a culture, that's the 60s, 70s, 80s, it moves on until... Um, Birdman lived in Larkspur. He played for the Nuggets. I don't, think, I don't know if he still lives there. Does anyone know? He never invites me over, so I don't know. Amy ran into him at the, the liquor store. How, <laughs> like, please delete that out. <laughs> right, so, um, but Birdman, 56% of NBA players have visible tattoos. I don't know who did the research for this. I have no interest to do that, but 56 that's not a big... That's not like the NFL there's, or the uh, Major League Baseball. There's way fewer players, but 56% um, have tattoos. Barbie in 2010 came out with a tattoo. Did anyone know this? You're just pretending. Right, so, so it's suddenly making this cultural shift where 10 uh, uh, out of every 10 people, at least two in America have tattoos. Like that's a lot. Of people, and I think if we would have had this discussion 50 years ago, how many people do you think had tattoos? Maybe one in a hundred. That would be my guess. It was pretty rare to see maybe an anchor or maybe a mom or something. I mean, it was pretty rare. So this is my own. The, Janis Joplin and artwork going to the next level and accessibility and sanitary conditions moving up and up and up with, and then the popularity across the board, we see more and more tattoos. So can you get a tattoo? Biblically, there's no direct prohibition, but I think there's some things you'd want to consider. Um, society is changing its view of tattoos, and we have to change along with that. It makes sense. Soldiers have grown up in an era when tattoos are much more acceptable, and we have to change along with that. That's from the Army who recently had a, a change in their policy that said you can have um, tattoos that are visible below the knee. And even no longer neck, you can't have them on your neck, face, or knuckles. But otherwise, you can have all the tattoos you want. And they had a limiting factor for a while that said four tattoos the size of something. And they said, you know what, what are we trying to do here? We can't keep up. As a church, I'm not saying we're changing with culture, but these are directly connected with culture. There's certain things that the perception of culture, I think, does come into play if, as a Christian, you want to be involved in it. So I'll give you an example, and I think the most obvious example is clothing. The bathing suit, how bathing suits have sort of changed over the years. I use the example of a geisha, the movie Memoirs of a Geisha. She leans at one point in the movie and exposes her wrist. And um, 
that is very sexual and like this is not because they wore all these elaborate gowns, you wouldn't do that. I don't make my daughters wear like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar sweatbands all the time because I think people don't think that way, right? And swimming suits have sort of shifted, and I'm not saying I'm going to go, hey, everything's great over here, but there's been a shift from swimming suits to from like the Titanic movie that have sort of shifted into one piece, what we would consider conservative, and that's where I sit. Like when my daughter shop for suits, I'll say, well, if you want dad to pay for it, there's certain requirements involved, and that's coverage mostly. So, they, so that is where it goes. Now, obviously, suits are way on the other extreme. If you go to different countries and things like that, America isn't there. But there is a certain sense that says culturally, is this okay or not? Right? So the same suit that my own daughter would wear today, if she would have worn it in 1920, would have been like unbelievable. Does that make me a bad dad? Or is it a recognition, uh, recognizing that there's a certain, you have to see what culture is saying about things to a certain point. And I think tattoos fits in that same category. It's not 50 years ago. It's not. And we're now in 2016, and the, the culture as a whole is not going to look at your tattoo in question. I think there are some where people would step back and say, is that smart? There still is, right? If I had a tattoo, even if it's a cross on my forehead, would you think that's a great idea? No. So even, I think culturally, the army probably got it right. People, when they see them on their neck, wonder, I think, as a, as a whole, they say, uh... When they see them on their face, they think, eh, I don't know if that, when you see them all over hands, there's still a question that says, is that really a good idea? That might shift in my lifetime. Uh, but there's a thing that, where as a Christian, you say, I don't want to, my point is not to stretch it, but I think there's some things you want to consider. Just because you can, is this beneficial and wise? I mean, ultimately, I don't have any tattoos. So, um, but mostly that's because I'm a fickle person, and I think about what I liked five years ago, I loved and some of that stuff I don't love anymore. So it's hard for me to imagine what could I pick that would be so, uh, that I would love for all time. I don't know if I can come up with stuff like that. Although I've been a pastor for five years and I wear the same outfit for five years. So maybe I'll just get a, <laughs> I'll get a tattoo of this outfit. Um, so consider modesty. I think this is something you really have to think. Just um, saying there's different places you can get tattoos. And there's some that are saying, is this trying to divert eyes or attention or I, I'm not going to point, and there's no photos. Um, but I think you got to question, where am I getting a tattoo, and where am I, what kind of attention or what kind of message am I supposed to draw with that? And I think that's question number three. If you're going to get a tattoo, what is the message you're trying to convey? And it's not just what you think the message is. Like, you can get a Japanese character that means something, and you say, oh, it means courage, but it also could be the symbol for one of their gods. So you got to step back and say, what does this mean on a larger cultural scale? Just because it means this to me does not mean it means that to everybody else. And then finally, consider regret. Um, this is what most people, I'm not going to put any age brackets on. Actually, I just saw a guy. Um, I was watching the CrossFit. They had a, a workout thing, and they had a competition. I went to see some of my friends, and uh, I was sitting next to a guy, and he goes, well, the tattoos don't seem to be weighing them down because there were some guys with full arm tat. They were unbelievable athletes, unbelievable. And, uh, but that was his comment. He's probably about 60 years old. So, and he says, I always tell my daughter, someday you're going to be 60. But I don't know if that's across the board. Most people do not regret getting their tattoo. Most. That doesn't mean there's not a lot. So of, so let's say we got 500 people here. That just for numbers, it's easier. We have 500 people. That means 100 people would have a tattoo. Of those, only about 14 to 20 percent 
regret. They call tattoo regret. Regret getting the tattoo they got. That's not huge. It's not as many as I would have thought. So, what do we got to weigh out? Just because you can doesn't mean you necessarily should as far as your money and other things. Uh, your job, you have to think about that. Think modesty. Is, am I trying to atten- draw attention to myself or what is my message? Ultimately, am I giving honor to the God who created me and said your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? And then ultimately, think long and hard because it's much more costly to remove a tattoo than it is to get it. And then, and finally, where do we, we shake out? People of Israel thought they were forgotten. And I think the main reason why people get a tattoo, probably the main reason is to be connected to a group. Probably the main reason is to say, like, I'm part of something. And I think there's an appeal to that. If I was a teenage kid and you're going to get initiated into this gang, I think it would probably feel good to have that gang sign put on there if my family doesn't care, I'm part of this group. And I think it's an awesome thing for people who thought they were forgotten. God wants you to feel part of something bigger. God wants you to feel like you're part of something big and world and part of this world. And God says, I want you to be connected with me. And he says, come and take my true body and my blood that was shed for you. Come look at my hands. I did this just for you. And to the people of Israel, we get a foreshadowing of that. And he says, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on that child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. God is never, ever going to forget you. God says you are part of something huge. You're part of a, a body of believers that is forgiven and loved by me. And I've got the marks to prove it. Amen. Uh, Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for this time in your word. Uh, help us as we go to honor you with our actions, that we uh, all our actions are giving praise to you, and all our words and uh, all our messages are ones that give you honor. We ask this in your name. Amen.